Good morning. How are you doing? Good. Good to see you. It is nice today. It's amazing how much happier we are when the sun comes out, right? There's, there's no snow to worry about for at least, what, two and a half months? So we're good, right? <laughs> uh, well, this morning we're going to jump into a, a topic, and I'll give you a heads up. I am preaching specifically, specifically towards Love Milford this afternoon. So I have a very clear focus in mind, and that's loving our communities. You know, communities and groups throughout time of all different sizes and shapes usually fall into two categories. They're either open or they're closed. Open's pretty obvious. We know what that looks like, right? We've all joined an open group. We show that we have some affinity for whatever they're about. We fill out that Facebook form that they send to us that has, tell us three questions to make sure you're not a robot. And then we're in, right? That's all it takes. It's easy. Closed, on the other hand, requires biological proof that you are actually allowed to be a part of this group, uh, or you have to go through some amazing rituals to be able to, to prove that you are worthy of joining this specific uh, thing. They're purposefully exclusive, and they do a really good job of being exclusive and of excluding everybody who they don't find worthy of being a part of their group. Two examples of this. In 2004, M. Night Shyamalan wrote and directed a movie called The Village. And it was put out there as kind of like this creepy whatever. It's not as creepy as, as they put it out there as. But here's the story. It's 15 years old. So spoilers are out. Like, uh, I, if you haven't seen it, sorry. Uh, you can still watch it afterwards. But I'm not going to worry about spoiling it for you. Uh, the Village is a story about a group of people who live in a village that's surrounded by a woods. And in the woods, there's monsters. Ooh, you know, fancy, right? Right, scary. We don't have any of those, thankfully. But they've been cut off. They've lived like this for generations, cut off from the outside world. They know that there's an outside world, but they've never seen it. They've never been able to engage with the outside world because of the monsters in the woods. Until somebody gets hurt and somebody else is willing to go through the woods to deal with the monsters in the hope of finding medicine to be able to bring help to this person who was hurt. So here's the backstory that they don't tell you at the beginning. This is where the scary part comes. It's not really that scary, by the way. I'm not going to tell you some like creepy ghost story. Here's the reality. 30 or 40 years before, a grief support group had decided that they were unwilling to engage with the rest of the world because they had been hurt so much and so they bought a reserve, they moved on to this uh, plantation, they hired park rangers to keep people out of the woods to make them into an urban legend so they could be separated from the rest of the world so that they would never have to be hurt by anybody ever again. They were willing to let people die from things that they knew very well they could be saved from because that was a better risk than having to deal with the outside world. They lied, and they kept covering it up in that way. It's billed as kind of a scary movie, but really the only scary part is what happens when we allow our fear to close us off from everybody else, to be what owns us. A couple of years ago, another movie came out that a few of us may have seen called Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Uh, it's a Marvel superhero movie and uh, about a man named T'Challa, 
And he is the new Black Panther and the coolest guy in the Marvel Universe and the king of Wakanda. His dad dies and he takes over. At the beginning of the film, he says, if the world found out what we truly are, what we possess, we could lose our way of life. Tradition had kept them closed off from the rest of the world. Everybody else in the world thought that they were potentially the, the poorest country, if not one of the poorest countries in all of the world. But the reality was that they may be the most technologically advanced country in all of the world. They could help everybody else tremendously, but they were unwilling to share it because of how other people might use their technology. Tradition had kept them in a shadow world where only the insiders knew the truth. But through the course of this movie, which like lots of people, it's kind of funny, like lots of people wrote a lot of things extolling the virtues of living a life like uh, the Black Panther and how like it's the most motivating movie they'd seen in years. Good job, Marvel. But towards the end of it, T'Challa says this, Wakanda will no longer watch from the shadows. We cannot, we must not. We will work to be an example of how we as brothers and sisters on this earth should treat each other. Now more than ever, the illusions of division threaten our very existence. We all know the truth, that more connects us than divides us. But in times of crisis, the wise build bridges, while the foolish build barriers. So here we have two examples of closed communities. They've closed off because of tradition. They've closed off because of fear, because of worries about risking too much, fear of suffering, because of just honestly general contentment with their life as it is without adding other people to that mix. That was a better spot for them to be. And they stayed closed until they came to this point where they had an opportunity to not remain closed. And we see two divergent paths. One remains closed because of fear, and the other chooses to risk, to engage the outside world, because they know that they have something that they can use that can bring change to the world. We're in the middle of a series called Happily Ever After, where we've been talking about how it is that life truly is better since Jesus left, because he sent the Holy Spirit and because he sent us out to do his mission, to spread his message to the world. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, the mission that we have as a church to spread the love of Jesus to our communities. But this mission begins with a question that I think is posed to all churches throughout the generations, and that's this, are we going to be an open or a closed community? Craig Blomberg, who's a theologian, wrote this. Many churches insist on their members attending so many church services, small groups, and meetings that their members have no time for anything else. Better to spend less time in church and more time outside of it. Didn't expect to hear that one this morning, huh? How's that for a provocative thought? And I think he's on to something here. Like I said, I'm pointing us towards this idea that we need to be lovers of our communities. And that's what he's pointing us towards here. I have a very clear vision for what I hope that we walk out of here feeling and knowing in our heart today, and that's that we need to be better lovers of our communities. We need to be better lovers of Hopkinton and Milford, of the towns that we live in, of our neighbors, of the people that are around us. 
And I want you to join us in loving Milford today because I think it's important that as a church that we do this, that we show the world around us that we are actively a part of loving them, of meeting their needs. And I have some good news for you. In case you were worried about where this was going, are we an open or a closed community? There is no chance that Vineyard Church of Hopkinton will ever be a closed community because we know without a doubt that the love of Jesus is too powerful to just keep it right here. We're not hoarders of that power. We want to spread it everywhere that we possibly can. We want other people to come to know Jesus through that. We don't want to hide it. We're not going to deny the mission that Jesus has given us. Jesus chose to go to his Father so that we could be filled, so that we could go and do his mission here on earth. And we're going to live out that mission as a church. Let's pray, and then we're going to jump into 1 Corinthians. Jesus, we just thank you for your presence that's here, Lord. We we thank you, Lord, that your joy it has come and filled us, that, that we know you more deeply already this morning, and that your presence is here among us. And I just pray this morning that you will fill us with a deep desire to love our communities, to love our communities, not just as people that are proud of whatever things that they're doing, but as followers of you who, are, are, who love our communities because we, we want them to know your love. We do have a mission, and we want to carry that out, Jesus. And I pray that you will fill each and every one of us with more and more of a desire to be willing to step out, to love others well, to carry out your mission in our world. We love you, Jesus. We are yours. Come and have your way this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 22. If you have a Bible, feel free to open up to it. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in the front and the back you can grab at any time. Even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with the Gentiles, who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so that I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. Stanley Grintz wrote, that genuine freedom is life in community. It includes the capacity to serve others and the capacity to renounce your own freedom for the sake of others. Paul, who's the author of this letter to the church in Corinth, is saying something here that's, I think, important, but he's not saying that he changes who he is every time that he's around a different group of people. That would be a little problematic from a mental health perspective, I think. He, he's not giving up his morals or his standards when he engages with different types of people. Those stay the same. He doesn't spend one night with an Orthodox Jewish family and behave one way, and the next night with an, un, an unreligious uh, Gentile family and say and do different things. His message always stays the same regardless of who he's encountering. 
We'll get to the message in a moment and the importance of that message and keeping that message focused. But for now, what I want us to focus on and realize is that the message is always the same, but the means can be very, very different. Paul knows that what works for non-religious people will never work for Orthodox Jewish people and vice versa. A one-size-fits-all message when it comes to sharing the love of Jesus just simply doesn't work because people are too different. People are too diverse. And so he tells us that we give up our preferences, we give up our favorites, our free time, that we become servants to other people so that some can be saved. Here's the truth behind what Paul's saying here. That we are called to serve in order to save. We are called to give up our freedoms so that other people can know Jesus. The only way that the world can be saved, that they can be changed, is through selfless engagement with people outside of these walls. The only way that that can happen is through that. And you can't make a biblical argument that says anything different. So what is it, where does that leave us? What does that mean with the means? Does that, does that point us in one clear way of doing things? Does it draw a line between different types of things? What's that say about evangelism or social justice or servant evangelism or all those types of things? And I think we often try and make it an either or because we all have preferences on how we like to engage with people. If I'm handing somebody a bottle of water, I feel like I have a right to have a conversation with them. Versus if I'm handing them a track, I feel super uncomfortable. We all have our own preferences and ways of engaging with people, but it's not an either or type of thing. For some of us, evangelism is like, is super uncomfortable. And especially if you're born after 1980, I think we have been really ingrained in our culture that anything that comes across as being pushy is terrible and really bad and really unwanted. And so we just like back away from it super hard. We don't like the strange looks. We don't like the awkward pauses in the conversations. We don't know what to do with ourselves. We start making all like kinds of weird like arm movements and hand gestures. We sweat in weird places. It's just uncomfortable for us. We don't know what to do with ourselves. And then there's other people who I think are sitting here and they're saying like, shoot, I just like to shoot it straight. Like, give me a napkin and I'm, I'm drawing a little bridge across that cliff. Like, you know what I'm saying? If that's you, you're like, yes, that is my spot. I like that. That's my jam. I'm hitting that one hard. Like, I'm really comfortable and that's good. That's beautiful. We need truth tellers. We need people who are more willing to share the love of Jesus than they are to worry about their own uncomfortableness in those types of situations. We need all of it, but this isn't an either or thing. It's both and evangelism versus social good, whether it's social justice or servant evangelism or outreach, is a false and distinctly unbiblical dichotomy. What Jesus came to bring, whether you call it salvation, freedom from sin, entrance into the kingdom of God, is not purely spiritual. That would imply that parts of life can be separated. That, you know, some things are really good for your soul and other things are not. That those can be separated. Uh, and I'll save you some, some Bible study time. That idea is, again, massively unbiblical. There are not parts of your life that are spiritual and other parts of your life that are unspiritual. Jesus brought a message of reconciliation that is holistic. That is all of you. 
every single part, which includes your interaction with people outside of this building. You have been reconciled to God for every single aspect of your life. Every part of you is reconciled. It's not spiritual or unspiritual. It's not either or. It's both and. That's a biblical worldview. And that's why we are called to serve in order to save, why we give up some of ourselves so that other people can know the truth of Jesus. That's the means. So let's talk about the message for a, section, for a second here. And I just hinted towards it. It's this idea of reconciliation with God. Let's read 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21. God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. God was in Christ reconciling us to himself. God is the one doing the reconciliation we aren't. And that should be super freeing to you if you've never realized that. You cannot save yourselves. I can't save you. The only one who can do that is Jesus. He, this is his part of the, the job. This is his gig. He, it's everything about reconciliation with him is God initiated and God activated. It has nothing to do with what we can do or what we could make happen. We can't make it happen. Paul tells us that instead that we're called to be ambassadors. Now that sounds kind of like a, a frou-frou government job that it's given to millionaires when their friends get into the White House. But there's something that's a little bit more, <laughs> that was slightly cynical, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> it's real. Uh, anyway, there's something more like applicable to our lives that hits with this role. And so I would say that we're called to be promoters or spreaders of the message of reconciliation. Because ambassadors aren't the reconcilers, they're the sales force. That's what their job is. We're not initiating anything, we're spreading the news. We're promoters for the message of God. And let's get real, we are all ambassadors of something, right? I'll, I'll throw myself under the bus for you here and tell you some things that I promote all the time. I am a very good ambassador for certain things. Like one of them is plaid shirts. <laughs> I wear plaid shirts a lot, like a lot, a lot. Like my girls comment about like asking if I actually have anything that's not plaid sometimes, which, yeah, doesn't always make me super happy when they do that. But it's a safe zone for me. It, it's trendy-ish. It fits like I'm happy in that spot. Uh, I wear them all the time. I'm also a brand ambassador for Converse All-Stars. Chuck Taylors, I wear them all the time. They're super comfortable. They, uh, I can wear them when I play basketball and when I preach. What else do I want? You know, they're great when they're brand new. They're great when they're worn. Like, I, this is my happy spot. I'm good with it. And the third thing that I am stylistically a big brand ambassador for is cardigans. <laughs> Mr. Rogers must have had a massive, massive effect on me as a little child. 
more than I ever knew. I don't know, you know. Me and the creator of Daniel Tiger, we were hardcore on Mr. Rogers. We realized the depth in this guy, all because of the sweaters that he wore. <laughs> Whatever it is, fall through spring, my standard probably 80 to 90% of the time is a cardigan, a plaid shirt, jeans, and Chuck Taylors. It's just what it is. I wear what I like, you know, it works. I also love music. Just yesterday, we were driving in the car, and this song came on uh, by Leon Bridges called Beyond. And the girls were like, Dad, Dad, turn it up. Now, my girls would have never known who Leon Bridges is if I was not their father. He's like kind of got this old school Motown sound mixed with folk. Like it's not anything they would have found on their own. However, because I am their father, now it's like one of their favorite songs when we're driving anywhere, and they turn it up and all of us sing along the entire time to the entire four-minute song. I am an influencer with things that I like, with things that I find value in, right? We all are. We all do this with all kinds of stuff, whatever it is. Maybe yours is the Patriots or yours is 80s rock. I'm sure you've influenced some people with both of those things. We promote the things that we love, the things that we find worth promoting. And if you don't know what it is, just take a moment today, flip open Instagram or Facebook and run down your feed and you will very, very quickly figure out what it is that you actually like, what it is that you're passionate about. The key to being an ambassador is valuing something enough to put yourself out there for others to see. So here's where the rubber hits the road for us, right? The question for us, and this is only something you can answer for yourself, so I'm going to drop it and then just let you deal with the aftermath, is, is the message of Jesus worth spreading and promoting? That's something that we have to figure out for ourselves, but it's only an answer that we can give on our own. But here's the good news in it. You don't have to be a super influential ambassador 100% of the time for people to come to know the love of Jesus. The actual work of reconciliation, as I said, is not based on how good that we are at doing that job. It's based on the work of the Holy Spirit. We just point people to the Holy Spirit. Bethany Wong wrote that the outcome of the story doesn't depend on our heroic actions. We are called by God to join in the story through Jesus and the Holy Spirit, but we are not responsible for its outcome. That work is in God's hands. The objective of all of this is reconciliation, which God does, not manipulation, which is what we do. When, it's, when we fall too far to the side of it being about us, when we try and force people into it, that's manipulation. When we do a good job of pointing straight up, telling people to look to Jesus, then the Holy Spirit has room and space to begin to work in their hearts. That's why we work to find common ground. That's why we serve. That's why we give up our freedoms, because we love the people that we are engaging with, and we want them to know the reality of the love of Jesus. Tim Keller is a author and pastor from New York City, and I want us to watch a clip where he talks about what it means for us to love our cities and our towns. Let's watch this. 
What did it mean to love the city? Two things. Number one, serving the city. Not just enjoying it, serving it, giving yourself to it, caring about its social arrangements, caring about the justice of the city, caring about the neighborhoods, caring about the city itself. But the second thing is, you should love the city not the way the consumers love it, not the way romantic, you know, people who just come and they, they're starry-eyed, oh, what a great place it is. You should love the city the way you love your spouse after 40 or 50 years of marriage. Let me tell you something about that. Some of you know what I mean. A lot of you have no idea. When you first fall in love, you are attracted to what can nicely be called many, many beautiful superficialities. And after 40 years, they're gone. <laughs> Those beautiful superficialities are gone. And yet, and yet, the, the really deeper goods you've come to see, the deep great things about your spouse you've come to see. Yeah, sometimes you say, it'd be nice to get the skin back. <laughs> be nice to get the figure back. But that's, they were the superficialities. And you just look for the deep things. And a lover of the city doesn't just serve the city. A lover of the city loves the city for the deep things. Not the so how do we love our communities well? I think he points us at something really good here. And now I haven't been married for 40 years, so I'll have to take his word for it. But I think what he's pointing at is this real truth for us. We care for it, we serve it, and then we love it with that sort of a depth. We know the issues. We know the failings. We know the politicians that might drive us crazy in our towns and in our cities. But we, we love the wrinkles. We see the depth and the value. We become committed without question. And I think that that's really dead on for how we as a church need to love our cities. Our first goal is to love Jesus. And I think Jesus sends us out to love our communities well. You can only love your community that way if you spent time in relationship with them. If you're not actively engaged with your town, you can't love them the way that Jesus calls us to. So as we come to an end, how do we love our towns well? Here's five things to help us start to think about what this looks like for us. First, find out where the what the town needs and find the spots where your passions and the needs of the town intersect. And that will happen. It just might take time. It might take some digging and it might take some prayer. But if you're willing to put in the time to find that spot, I think Jesus will meet you there and give you inroads that you wouldn't think that you would have been able to have otherwise. The second thing is model how Jesus lived. You know, when Jesus went to new cities and new towns, this is what he did. He walked slowly. He made friends. He discovered needs. He gave real help. And he spoke hope. I think we can all do that. So let's do it. The third thing, focus on love, not success. Your checklist does not matter. Even if the town gave you a checklist, 
your checklist does not trump what it is that Jesus is calling you to do. Focus on loving people well. Four, earn the trust of your community. Don't just expect them to give you trust. When we roll up our sleeves, when we show up time and time again, then people begin to trust us. We all understand that. So do it. Actually show up and allow them that space. When we earn that trust, the culture becomes one in which the kingdom of God can advance. And lastly, do what the community needs. You know, when we started talking about Love Milford, Sarah, who's one of our pastors, went to the town manager of Milford and said, what can we do to really help you? She said, we got people, we have money, we'll do the work. What do you need us to do? And the town manager kind of looked at her and was like, is this real? Um, like, what can I actually give? You know, like all the normal questions that we would expect, right? And so she kept coming back and she gave proposals and he gave proposals and then we came to what we're doing today. They gave us a job. Now, am I naturally good at scraping paint? No. Am I passionate about weeding or planting flowers? No, that is not where my passions lie. However, if that's what the town needs, then I'm there for it. Because we want to show them that we love them. That Vineyard Church of Hopkinton loves them well. And that's what matters. Bethany Wong, who I mentioned earlier, wrote this. God calls us to join him and to use our power as the church, as followers of Jesus, to seek what is right and just in the world, and to use our power to enable and serve others so they can flourish and live as they were created to live. So today, can I ask a favor of you? Can I be so bold as to say that I think God might be saying something to some of you? Cancel your plans this afternoon and come love Milford. Because I think that Jesus does ask us to do stuff like that. We need to be doing this as a community. We need to be willing to give up of ourselves, to give up our freedoms so that other people can come and be saved. It's necessary. We want people in our community to know the love of Jesus, and it happens by being willing to serve so that some can be saved. The worship team wants to come back up. Let's stand, and we're going to pray as we transition to a time of worship. Jesus, we, we thank you right now for what you're doing in our hearts. Lord, we thank you for what you want to do in our communities, in our towns, for the love that you want to pour out to them. We thank you that you love the, our towns more than we ever could. And I just ask this morning, Jesus, that you will give us a deeper love for the people around us, for our communities that goes beyond the superficialities, that goes beyond what's nice for us, and that reaches deep down into the heart of loving them so that they can come to know you. We want that to be our legacy, that we were a people that loved people so well that they knew that Jesus was real. Let that be true for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for sending us on mission, for giving us a message. Teach us how to live it out well. We are yours. In Jesus' name, 
Amen.